Prepare yourself. I thought that was cute. Like pre-prayer, like prepare yourself. Prepare yourself is the title of the message today. One who was prepared was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who you may know uh, his most famous work, The Cost of Discipleship. In uh, 1943, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran uh, confessing church pastor uh, from Germany, but in Switzerland at the time, was arrested by the Gestapo uh, because they traced some of his finances and, and monies that he had gathered from the confessing church. The confessing church, what did the confessing church confess? The confessing church of Europe confessed that the Lord was Jesus Christ and not Hitler. The confessing church confessed the resurrection of the Lord and not the victory of the grave. The confessing church confessed the supremacy of the scriptures and not Nazi doctrines. Well, the confessing church of Europe had raised money and they'd sent it to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had many foreign contacts due to his time spent in the United States. And he used this money to liberate 14 uh, Jews from concentration camps, 11 of whom eventually named Jesus Christ as Messiah. The Nazi Gestapo traced this money to him and they arrested him in 1943 for corruption. Part of the resistance movement, uh, Bonhoeffer was privy to the assassination attempt on Hitler on July 20th, 1944, which obviously failed. In April, April 9th, uh, at the Flossberg concentration camp, 1945, he was hanged. American soldiers liberated the camp 11 days later. The SS doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's death later recalled a man, quote, devout, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. I, hard, I have hardly ever seen a man so die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Bonhoeffer's last, last message to a bishop in England, George Bell, was, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. How does a man take a step up into the hangman's noose like that? Bonhoeffer was prepared If you have your note sheet, please uh, stand and follow with me as we read from the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke twenty-two thirty-nine to 46. And it is about being prepared. Coming out, he, Jesus, went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, a normal thing for Jesus. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place where he normally went... He said to them, pray that you may not enter into the time of trial. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, just a little bit away. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, please take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, 
He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you also enter into the time of trial. You may be seated. The text, if you're familiar with the New King James Version, you'll notice that I've replaced the word temptation with the time of trial. Uh, you're f- more familiar with the, the New King James. It, it, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And you might even r- hear the echo of uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Lead us not into temptation. Well, that word uh, is the word perasmas. Um, and it can mean temptation. and often does uh, elsewhere in the New Testament. But I want to suggest to you that in Luke, Luke particularly uh, draws this, this Greek uh, word out when he's talking about um, a, a time of testing or a time of, of trials. Uh, you might even think of it in English as an ordeal. When you're about to enter into something that is not easy, it's difficult, it's challenging. And, and the question is whether or not you can, you can carry through, whether or not you can endure uh, a couple of examples of, of, of this word used in some of Luke's uh, gospel and also in Acts, which he also wrote. In Luke 8.13, we read, The ones on the rock, uh, Jesus is telling the, uh, the parable of the sower, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe only for a while, and in a time of testing, a time of trial, perasmos, they fall away. Well, that makes sense if you think about, uh, you, you've met these people, they, they, uh, they hear the gospel, and it's, it's glad, it's exciting, but, but then difficult things enter their lives. They're asked to make sacrifices, it becomes difficult, a trial, a test, an ordeal, and, and they walk away because they don't have uh, the right sort of endurance. Or also, um, Luke 22, just a little bit earlier, uh, at the, um, the Last Supper, Jesus says, you are those who have stood by me, the disciples, in my trials. Well, it wouldn't make sense to say temptations. The issue that Jesus has been going through is he's been challenged. He's been in the midst of a difficulty. People are seeking to hurt him. He's going through trials, and the disciples have been with him. Uh, later in Acts, the Apostle Paul uh, is talking to some of his friends, and he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. And we know if we've read in Acts that that Peter and then Paul both were persecuted because of their faith. And they went through things that were very challenging, very difficult. They went to prison. They were beat up. They went through trials. And so when Jesus is looking at the disciples and he says, pray that you may not enter into what? This. This time of trial. You see, friends, Sometimes we take a stand for something, and it costs us. But here's the scary thing. It doesn't just cost me if I decide to take a stand for something I believe in, because people who are my enemies, people who are smart, who, people who want to hurt me, they're not going to go just after me. They're going to find my family and my friends, and they're going to hurt them. We've all seen the, the movie where the, the hero gets up and says, Oh, shoot me, I can take it. And the bad guy says, Shoot you? Ha! I'm going to shoot your wife. That's exactly what Jesus is worried about. He knows what's going to happen to him, and he's worried that the disciples are going to have to go through their time of trial too soon. And so he says, pray that you don't enter into this. Trials are awful. 
They're not something we should go looking for. You know, sometimes Christians get this idea that we need to go out and uh, do some heroic suffering. Friends, if you are called to suffer, it will happen. Don't go looking for it because it's awful. Moreover, these trials end in humiliation, suffering. Sometimes, in the case of Jesus Christ, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and yes, all the disciples, they end in death. And very often, they initiate processes that lead to harm for the ones we love. Pray, disciples, that you don't enter into this time of trial. In fact, Jesus might have added, I'm about to do the same thing. We might want to take a step back from this, uh, this text here. Um, we're, we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as Christians, we confess that Jesus is the Christ of God, that he, is, uh, that he shares the divine nature, so he is in, in himself God. And yet, he has some very human emotions here. He's, he's very scared, it looks like. He's in agony. He's suffering. And so we might wonder a little bit about what is happening in the big picture. Well, if you're the devil, if you're Satan, you've, you've finally got it. It's victory time. The devil's been t- trying to trip Jesus up all the way through the Gospel of Luke. Mostly we've talked about behind the scenes. But he's been there and he's been involved in trying to get Jesus off the track. Uh, if we remember the original in, in chapter 4, um, a while back, the devil shows up and... and, and puts Jesus through trials, that same word actually gets used in that text, puts Jesus through trials, some challenges, to, to, to do some things to Jesus, to get him off the track, to get him so that he's no longer 100% singularly committed to Yahweh God of Israel. The devil's goal is to get Jesus to look somewhere else, to doubt, to question, to, to make one false move, because as soon as that happens, as soon as that happens, the kingdom of God is lost, and the devil knows it. If you're not 100% committed to God, Yahweh, you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. That's why the kingdom of God is so difficult for us to grasp, even here and now, because we still carry with us our sin nature. And so the devil thinks he's finally got Jesus where he wants him. See, because Jesus now, the plot has been, has been laid such that Jesus knows what's about to happen. Judas is going to betray him, and he's going to get tortured to death. And so Jesus has two options. Option one, the smart thing, run away. Get out of here. You know, maybe regroup somewhere else and and try again. Somewhere out of danger. But that's not going to work. Because God has ordained this thing. Several times in Luke already, Jesus has already said, the Son of Man must suffer and die and be raised on the third day. In fact, just a few verses uh, before uh, this particular section, Jesus actually quotes from Isaiah 53 when he's, he's talking to the disciples about a few things, and he's, he's explaining that what's happening to him is fulfilling scripture. And if you're familiar with Isaiah 53, you know that that's the so-called suffering servant psalm. Uh, when he quotes Isaiah 53, 12, uh, he, Jesus says, For I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. And indeed, what is written about me is being fulfilled. Well, by invoking that text, by invoking the suffering servant, which was very famous and well-known at the time, Jesus was getting people to think about his ministry in those terms. 
Now, right before that, that's uh, Isaiah 53, 12. If you go right before that, you get to Isaiah 53, 10 to 11. And what does it say? Isaiah says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you, God, make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, perhaps his spiritual offspring, and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of this anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. This is in Jesus' head at this very moment. He recognizes I'm the one. I am the suffering servant. It is the will of God that I be crushed with pain. That I be an offering for sin. That through me, many are made righteous. And so Jesus knows what God expects of him. And that's finish. Go all the way. But from the devil's perspective, oh no, Jesus, just walk away. Save yourself. You do not want to go through this. This is going to be bad. And you know it. You know what the Romans do. You know the Romans don't, they don't mess around, okay? When the Romans decide to kill you, they don't make it quick. The Romans hurt you. They unman you. You know what's about to happen. Run. And if you do that, you depart from the will of God. You lose the kingdom. I win. Oh, okay, Jesus, fine, don't. This will be good. I can't wait. Man, you have been bothering me for a long time, Jesus, and I am really looking forward to you getting yours. And then when you're dead, guess what? I win. For Jesus, it's not a matter of worrying the devil win. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows that he can expect resurrection. He knows that because he is the suffering servant that God will use his sacrifice to make many righteous. He knows these things. But man, when was the last time you were up at night waiting to get tortured to death? That must have been rough. And so Jesus gets down and he's... Uh, He's praying, and maybe some of you have had prayers like this, where you, uh, you know something rough is about to take place, or you're worried that it will, and, and you're crying out to God, you're, you're anxious. I mean, it, it could be about anything, you know, money or you know, your mental state, whatever it is, um, and you're crying out to God, and you're saying, God, don't, don't do this. Don't, don't let this happen. Please. God, please. I don't know if I can take this. But then, but then maybe, maybe you're the sort of person who then makes that next step, that really courageous, really scary step that says, but look, if you're going to do it, okay, I'm going to stick with you. That's a really scary, really horrible place to be because you are divesting yourself. You are letting go from yourself all power, all control of your destiny. You're saying, it's not, not my will, yours. 
And how do you make it through that? Well, it's, very, it's so interesting what happens to Jesus, uh, interestingly, in, in Luke, is that an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Uh, it's, as though, it's as though Jesus is, is getting ready for uh, this, this big battle. He's, he's in the corner, right? Um, my brother-in-law, he just loves the uh, UFC fighting, which seems to me like sort of a modern-day kind of uh, gladiator sort of thing, which I'm not cool with, but, but he likes it, and so I've watched a few with him. And it's so interesting, after the, each round, you know, they're getting in there, and you've got to have somebody in the back just like, Splashing you with water, massaging you, literally stitching up cuts. I mean, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's for real. That's kind of the image we get of Jesus. He's in the corner. He knows that something really bad's about to happen. And then the angel comes up behind him and begins, begins giving him a sign. You can do this. Don't give up. You can make it. It's a, it's a really interesting image, especially if you think about it in context of the first time that the devil tempted Jesus or put him through a trial. What's one of the things he does? He takes Jesus up on top of this temple. Um, and, and he says, uh, he says, hey man, throw yourself over. And, uh, you know, an angel's gonna protect you. Because in Psalm 91, it says that, uh, you know, you, angel, he will give his angels charge over you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus doesn't do it. He says, no, I'm not, I'm not testing God. Testing, notice that word. I'm not putting God through a trial. Okay? I'm going to be doing the trial here. And you know what? I'm just going to trust that God's God, and I'm going to let God do God's thing. And when God is ready for me to get hurled off into death, then I'll, then I'll start waiting for an angel. Friends, here it is. Here's the moment where Jesus, because of God's will, is, I guess, more or less at the top of a temple, and he's about to get cast off into torture and death. And an angel comes. but maybe not the way we wanted him to. You see, when we pray for deliverance, what we think of deliverance is, God, take this cross away from me. Send your angels to protect me from this cross. How many times do we say, God, I don't want to do this? And sometimes God says back, oh, you're going to do it but I'm going to make sure you have the power to endure it. The deliverance of God for Christ in this situation is not, I'm going to take this cross away. It's, I'm going to give you the strength to carry it. That's a great image, too. You know, so the angel's there giving him the, 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 the rub down getting them ready, dashing water on them, getting them sewn up the cuts, get ready to go. And then there's that great image that Luke gives us. He says, uh, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like, uh, became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Luke uses that, uh, that word that we get like or uh, as or about. Uh, he uses that word only really to talk about something that, that looks uh, similar physically, right? So the, he, he's giving us kind of like a... a a metaphor, a way to, a snapshot to see what it looked like for Jesus to be down there. And he's kneeled down, and he's, he's just mm, mm, praying, just crying out to God in the most raw, most real way possible. And uh, for me, and maybe this is a little bit sacrilegious, but if you remember those Gatorade commercials, maybe it's Powerade, but they're black and white, right? And there's LeBron, and he's, and he, and he jams. And then, and then you see all over him orange drops, and they're huge, and it's his sweat, right? Because he uses Gatorade, okay? The point, and below him, there's this huge orange puddle, 
right? That's how much sweat he's doing because he's an athlete at the top of his game. His pores are open and he is drenched, drenched because of his effort, because of his concentration, because of his will. That's the image that we're getting from Luke for Jesus. He is absolutely 100% thoroughly committed. All of his strength is in this prayer to God. Not, your, not my will, but yours. Whatever it takes, give me the strength to get through it. I am so scared. This is not your happy-go-lucky, perfunctory prayer. Perfunctory, sorry. This is the prayer of war. It is wrestling. It is combat. It is sports, even. It is the kind of prayer that takes everything you have. It exhausts you. It spends you. It's interesting, you know, you you look at the Psalms. You look at the Psalms and, and, and the kind of language that psalmists use. It's not, it's not, God, things are great and I love you. It's, how could you, God? Why are you letting this happen? Save me! This is raw. It is unadulterated. It is as authentic as human emotion and power can be. There are no punches being pulled in this grappling with the Lord. And that is why he calls him Father. Friends, your relationship with your boss or uh, even a lot of your friends or... um, your commander in the military. That relationship is very structured and there are not a, there's not a lot of room for movement. That's, that relationship can't be changed. Your relationship with your father, it ought to have enough stretch, enough bend, that you can tell him what you think, that you can be honest, and that you don't have to worry that that's going to destroy your relationship. It might be hard, it might be difficult, but the relationship is going to remain despite your honesty. This relationship can handle the truth. When I was in the uh, eighth grade, seventh grade maybe, I was in uh, baseball. Um, Justin, uh, he's good at baseball. Uh, I've never seen him play, but from what I understand, he's very talented. I I was not that. And especially my second year in what they called majors was a disaster. I rode the bench. um, I hated it. Uh, and it, what was most difficult about it was it was such a disappointment with that, to my dad. He, my dad did not want an academic. He wanted a Dodger. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. He, you know what? He made his piece, and I think he's pretty proud of me. Thanks, Dad. Uh, but I remember, I remember, I remember being there at the, at the kitchen table, uh, and I remember crying out to my dad, saying, please don't make me go back. The kids on my team hated me. Uh, because I made the team worse. Um, it was a tough time. And I felt uh, excluded, I felt weak, and I felt like I wasn't very good. And I didn't get the response I wanted from my dad. What I wanted him to say is, oh, boo-boo, honey, I'm sorry. I'm the worst, you're the best. <laughs> Let me kiss you on the forehead. No more baseball for you. Oh, no. And, and, and I, I don't want, I don't want it to, get, to get it twisted here. I mean, I know my parents struggled over this. They agonized over it and they prayed over it. Um, but then they, he came back and he said, finish the season. Okay. 
I was able to be honest. I was able to be raw with my father about where I was, who I was, what I thought. I didn't get the word I wanted from him. But in the end, I think he was right. I don't want to tell about the heroic, uh, my heroic play in, our, in our, our championship game where like they finally put me in and uh, I won't tell you about it, but seriously what happened was um, they, uh, they hit the ball into, uh, I'm like in the worst field, left field I think, where no one hits it and like I was like, oh no. <laughs> and pretty much everyone on our side of the, uh, of the stands put their heads down like fail. <laughs> no, get this. So I, I, you know, like that, is it the sand lot where the kid like goes like this? Like that. And then he's like, oh my gosh, I got it. But the thing is, I'm, you know, I'm not dumb, so I know that the guy's tagging up and he's going to go home. So I chuck the ball as hard as I can. I throw him out at home. We win the game. Yeah. Finish the season. <laughs> I think that's a true story. I don't know. You have to ask my dad. That's, that's how I remember it. Right? That's my memory of that story. Uh, friends, you know, if we're, we're going to take some stuff from this story, if we're going to look at the way Jesus suffered, I think there's a few things we need to keep in mind. The first is, man, don't go out there being you know, her- heroic. I'm going to get he- my head chopped off for Jesus. Don't do that. You be bold. You be, you be faithful. You, you keep the faith. You do the right things. You, you have the right. But if you don't go out looking to suffer, because man, you're not just the only one who's suffering. The people who love you are going to hurt. They're going to cry. And sometimes they even get injured because of what you're doing. But here's the deal. If you are, if you are one of the ones chosen for an ordeal, it's very likely happening because God wants to make something beautiful that God wants to produce fruit in your life, or maybe it's the life of the church, or maybe in Jesus' case, it's the whole world. Maybe you, too, are following the patterns of the suffering servant. And maybe many are not necessarily being made righteous, but maybe, as they said in the New Testament, that love covers a multitude of sins. Maybe your suffering, your struggle, is testimony to those next to you. Maybe it converts those who don't believe. Maybe... Your faithfulness gives your children or your grandchildren a memory of what integrity looks like. Friends, it's happening. You know, it's it's coming. I just read uh, an article uh, about this girl whose husband was in a PhD program at Villanova, a Catholic university. And Villanova, um, she was uh, she and her husband were members of an intervarsity group there. And Villanova came out with a new policy that says, uh, nope, you can't have uh, a, a group on campus that requires assent to any creed, right? So you can't, ha- you can't be on campus if you me- make your members, or even not just your members, your leadership, just your leadership, say that they believe something. Nothing, not, not, not even ju- just the Trinity, the resurrection, doesn't matter. If you make them believe anything, you're out. And she, she thought, oh, this is crazy, just a misunderstanding. She went to uh, you know, the administration, a year-long process going back and forth, back and forth, and it ends with uh, her and her husband and their group getting kicked off the campus because they refused uh, to have atheists and leadership in their group. And she remarks, she says, you know, after it was over, I felt like nothing. I didn't feel good, I didn't feel bad, I just felt tired. And I don't even know what it was for. I do know 
now, though, that you can't just be friends with everyone all the time. And that as loving as you may want to be, there will be people who will call it hate speech. And so what does it look like? What does it look like to endure this, to survive this kind of ordeal? What must you do? What's well, right here, friends. You prepare yourself. And not the kind of prayer that's perfunctory, that's just out there. It's the kind of prayer that exhausts you, that spends you, until you're at the point where there's nothing left in your mind and your heart except the willingness to go and to be Christ. It is through that prayer that God changes us. It is through that prayer that angels come to strengthen us. It is through that prayer that the Holy Spirit empowers us, gives us the peace and the courage we need to survive. It's the kind of prayer that makes you able to say, okay, God, I want such and such a deliverance. I want you to deliver me from this cross. And makes it okay when God says, finish the season. We started out talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, Mom, if you queue up that video... So he dies, um, he's hanged April 9th, 1945. Well, on January 1st, uh, 1945, when he was languishing in prison, he wrote his last poem. Um, it's called Von uh, Guten Mechten. It means uh, by, by, by kindly powers or by, by, by gracious uh, powers. Um, if you read his, uh, his letters from prison, letters and poems from prison, you realize that at a certain point as you're reading, Bonhoeffer stops believing that anyone's reading them. Right? He knows that they're not getting past the censors. The, the, the Gestapo is keeping them. Um, and so the letters, they take on a quality that's it's no longer really to his mother. It's no longer really to his friends. They become a prayer. They become him exhausting himself as he cries out to God in the midst of sure knowledge that he is never leaving the jail. In your note sheets, I have the, uh, an, an English translation. It's not as literal as I'd like, but it is what it is, of this poem, this last poem that he wrote. And uh, there's a guy who, well, it was put to music um, as a hymn in the Lutheran church in Germany. And uh, there's a guy uh, h- uh, here who um, used the English uh, translation to to make something we can understand. By gracious powers, wonderfully sheltered. Confidently waiting, come what may We know that God is with us night and morning And never fails to greet us each new day Yet is this heart by its own foe tormented Still evil days bring burdens hard to bear Oh, give 
souls the sure salvation for which O Lord you taught us to prepare and when this cup you give is filled to brimming with bitter sorrow hard to His heart by its old fault tormented Still evil days bring burdens hard to bear Oh, give a frightened souls to sure salvation For which, O oh Lord, you taught us to prepare same world you give us the joy we had the brightness of your sun we shall remember all the days we live through and our whole life shall then be yours alone yet is this heart by old foe tormented Still evil days bring burdens hard to bear Oh give a frightened souls the sure salvation For which oh Lord you taught us to prepare love that, uh, what he turns into the, the chorus. Yet is this heart by its old, fo- old foe tormented. Still evil days bring burdens hard to bear. Oh, give our frightened souls the sure salvation for which, O oh Lord, you taught us to prepare. That for which is ambiguous in the uh, German. It could refer to the sure salvation. But it could also be referring so the burden's hard to bear. And I think in the magic of poetry, Bonhoeffer is pointing out that they can sometimes be the same thing. That the burdens that are hard to bear can bring salvation. Prepare yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the martyrs. We thank you for their shining example of those bathed in the combative, raw, real prayer that brings peace through which your spirit ministers and strengthens us, through which your angels bring comfort. God, we pray that we may not enter into the time of trial. Take that cup from us. But God, if it is your will, I pray that we will be prepared. 
that our hearts will be given fully to you and that the unity of love that's brought about by the Spirit will cause the people of your church to defend and protect those who walk the fiery road. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.